Lead Well. Welcome to the Lead Well Podcast, where we're growing the whole leader, sharpening leadership skills while strengthening the heart in leadership. Let's lead well. Hello, and welcome to the Lead Well Podcast. I'm Sherry Cochran, and I'm really happy to have with me today a friend, but a very gifted strategist and entrepreneur, Natalie Bourne. Natalie is the Vice President of Innovation for Territory Global, and she also is the host of her very own podcast called the Innovation Meets Leadership Podcast. She's an accomplished executive with two approved U.S. patents under her belt and over 15 years of experience leading product teams. She also, if that isn't enough, I mean, she's pretty great. She's a keynote speaker, a podcaster, an innovation facilitator, and she's worked with organizations such as Career Builder, First Data, IHG, and ADP, and she's led major initiatives in over 18 countries. And in her spare time, she's an awesome friend and a mom, <laughs> if that wasn't enough. Natalie, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me, Sherry. I, I'm, I, as, even as I read that list, I am always really in awestruck by all that you manage. And one of the first things I said about you is you're a gifted strategist. So clearly even just strategy comes into play to like do your life. Yes, very much so. <laughs> you should see my basement. I have sticky notes all over every wall. <laughs> <laughs> sticky note heaven. Yeah. Did you plan for your life to have that many facets to it? No way. Not at all. And I think one of the things that's critical in all of our careers is as we grow, we really narrow in on what matters to us and what we're really excited about. And when you're doing that stuff, you're in your sweet spot and it doesn't feel like work. And it's taken me 15 years to get to a place where I feel like I'm not working anymore. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, today I want to jump into one thing really specific with you, because even just the title of both your website, innovationmeetsleadership.com and your podcast, which is the Innovation Meets Leadership podcast, clearly we see the word innovation yeah. everywhere. Yeah. And if there was ever a time that we needed to innovate, it's the year 2020. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We have pivoted. We have adjusted. We have reacted. We have responded all year. Yeah. But I feel like we're, even though there's still a, an abundance of change out there, we're settling into at least a, some kind of a rhythm that mm -hmm. this is almost the new normal is that there's constant change. Yeah. So tell us a little bit when you say the word innovation, uh, and I've just named about 50 different ways you can say the word change, mm -hmm. what does the word innovation actually mean? Yeah, I mean, I think it means to me to spark something new. And you said it perfectly, 2020 has been kind of a disaster <laughs> when you look at everything that's happened. But in there, there's been this beauty of forced change. Mm. And sometimes innovation is you get there because you have a brilliant idea. Sometimes you get there through forced change because you have to innovate or your life's on the line. Right. And I think this has been a year where as businesses have seen their life is on the line, their livelihood is on the line if they don't force themselves to think outside the box a little bit. And so it's a powerful thing, innovation, when we unleash it, it, it can really turn things upside down. It can disrupt markets. It can do a lot of cool things if we harness it in the right way and push it in the right direction. And we can be innovative even in really small things. Very small like things. some of the stuff, like when I read your bio, I just go, oh my gosh, I'm just trying to make sure I can keep myself together and like, you know, <laughs> feeding people on time. <laughs> but even that could be something I can 
innovate, do differently, right? Yeah, I think that's my heart is to take a really big lofty topic called innovation and to make it tangible and approachable and meaningful for the everyday person, whether you're a stay-at-home mom or you're running a Fortune 500 company, it doesn't matter. We should be able to take innovation and break it down into bite-sized pieces. So I know that you've told me about three bite-sized pizzas, (laughs) not pizzas. Oh gosh, I've got food on the brain. But innovation has three components to it that you were telling me about earlier. What are those three components of innovation? And I think this helps us because sometimes we think of um, innovation, we think of this big thing like SpaceX, right? And we're going to help people go to the, the moon again. That's not really... That doesn't have to be innovation. Sometimes innovation can be, and I kind of like to think of it in three forms. The first one is transformative. And that's where I think we can all shine really easily like tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And that's in taking something that exists and making it better. And that's, you know, I think about going from iPhone 7 to iPhone 8. Okay. There were all these little changes, right, that they made in the product to make it better. That's transformative innovation. But then you get to that second level and that's breakthrough innovation. And that could be, you know, Apple today, right? They had the computer, but then they introduced the iPad. Well, that's breakthrough because it's, you know, it's within their current vein, but it's just making something bigger, bolder, better. But then this last one, and this is the one I think most people probably struggle with, and that's disruptive innovation. Mm -hmm. And that's because you got to have a lot of money. (laughs) That's like your Tesla, right? Going into automotive and saying, we're going to go direct to consumer. That's Apple introducing the iPod, which changed the music industry. Mm. And that's also, you know, Uber versus taxis. That's Netflix versus Blockbuster. Those types of innovations are disruptive and they really change the landscape for years to come. Mm. And it forces everyone that's doing it the legacy way to stand up and say, if we don't change something, we will not survive. Mm -hmm. So it's like in the old days going from a telegraph to a telephone or, you know, being able to hear somebody over a wire. Yeah. And it has. You think about that. That's only been what a hundred years or something. That's how, right. How much innovation has happened in the disruptive category yeah. in the last hundred years? So That's much. Yeah. So whether we're at home, whether we're at church, how we do ministry, how we're doing life, do you think all people have the potential to operate in all three? I of do. Those components? I do. I think there's going to probably be one that you're most comfortable with, and but I would say we should all be operating in that first level, which is the transformative level. Um, We should all be thinking about how we approach our day-to-day and how can we do it differently. That can be innovative. Even small changes in our day-to-day can actually create a different course for us, right? Getting up and deciding to walk for 15 minutes or (laughs) deciding not to eat, you know, uh, chicken and waffles or pizzas (laughs) for breakfast. But, you know, so we can can take in innovation in small ways to, to make our life better and make the lives of those around us better. And so I'm, I think students can do it. I think parents can do it. I think everyone can can work in this transformative um, innovation level. When you get to breakthrough and disruptive, I think once you've had enough wins at the transformative level, you can start to move up. And that's actually how it happened in my career was mm-hmm. I just started with little bite-sized changes to the site. I said, hey, I think it would be really cool if we change this feature. Let's test it and see what happens. And then I got enough wins over under my belt that they, that they let me take on bigger things. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes we just want to go straight to disruptive and we want to, yeah. you know, create Tesla. And we think that's the only thing innovation can be. But when we build that confidence under our belt and for people to look at us and trust what we do and what we build, that's how we can grow. Whether it's trusting an idea we pitch or trusting a product we build, all those things can build up to you being able to move from one level to the next. So it sounds like it's a developable, developable, that's a hard word, (laughs) developable skill. Yes, it, it absolutely is. And so today my hope 
is that we can give your listeners some of those skill sets so that they can also take what is, you know, what's core to me now, because I've been doing it for 15 years. I want to make it really approachable and really easy for them to to embrace. Well, let's do that as we're talking about 2020 being a bit of a train wreck, but we have pivoted. We've come up with, maybe we've settled in. We have some ideas. Yeah. So how do we get our innovative idea from idea to deployment to actually put feet to this thing, especially if it's in one of those two levels, the breakthrough or disruptive? Yeah. How can we do that? So I think the first phase that I like to start with in when I think about innovation is that discovery phase. And I want to say this very strongly when we think about innovation. One of the most important things that we have to do is not take an idea and just try to throw it over the wall to someone else. If you really believe in what you're doing, whether it's something that you, whether it's a ministry you want to build or it's a product you want to build or a company you want to launch, it's so important to do the legwork. Mm. And I think that is the most critical piece of innovation is taking the time to do the research. Um, Yes, that sounds really boring (laughs) to say, okay, I'm going to sit down and and look at what our competitors doing. What is the market doing? Um, What's going on in this area that I need to know about? What news is trending about this? But those are all the very practical and approachable steps, because if you're going to pitch an idea, you need to know about what's going on in that market. You need to understand the landscape. The other thing that I love, and this part's actually fun, especially if you at all have any extroversion in you. Is that a word? (laughs) Extroversion? I think so. We'll go with (laughs) it. Is talking to customers. So one of the first things I do whenever I'm going to build anything, no matter what it is, is I talk to a bunch of current customers and I talk to a bunch of former customers Mm. and I'm looking for the trends. So what is it that you love and what is it you hate? (laughs) And those are actually ideas that we can turn into inventions. And so Mm. being able to pick up patterns is a really critical part of innovation. And so as you're researching and as you're interviewing people, essentially what you're looking for is patterns. Okay. So looking for the pattern. Is there a name for this phase? I call it the discovery phase because essentially you're, you're just discovering, you know, what's out there, what's not out there, <laughs> what has been created, what hasn't been created. So this is essentially the phase where you're just kind of getting your arms around the market and what exists today. I'm going to be honest. I love that phase. Like yeah. you're saying, like, this is the legwork nobody wants to do. I think <laughs> if I have a tendency, I tend to park here too long. Yeah, I, I love the discovery and talking to people mm-hmm. and doing the research and stuff. But then where would I need to go next yeah. after I've, you know, ta- uh, I, I love talking to the former customers as well to find out, okay, why did you, why did you move out of this area? Is there anything else that's in the discovery phase? Like what would be major pieces yeah. there? I mean, so one thing that's really cool, and I think something new that's happened when you think about um, an agile way of approaching work is that you're going to actually go through all these phases over and over again. So don't think about one phase as like, I'm going to start it and then end it and I never have to think about it again. Uh. It's actually what we call an iterative process. So you're going to continue to iterate from one phase to the next um, as you learn and as you grow. So one of the things that I think is really important about innovation, a lot of times people will try things and if it doesn't work, they just stop. Right. And they're like, it didn't work. I'm done. That's not innovation. Innovation is saying, I have to continue to iterate. I have to continue to put different things out there and see what's working and what's not. And then probably about 10 iterations later, you're going to have something that's really good. But if we expect something good in iteration one, we actually fail ourselves and and we disappoint ourselves and then we feel like we're not innovative and so we can't do anything. So I want to encourage our listeners that when you think about innovation, 
think about it from a, from testing. It's a testing thing where you're constantly learning, constantly growing, constantly testing your ideas. So we can almost think of it like idea version one, idea version 1.1, idea version 1.2. Yes. <laughs> that's <laughs> a perfect than, way. Rather than just like, here we go. That's yeah. what I'm going with. Yeah. So when you think about that, once we kind of come through that phase one time of the discovery phase, we're going to go into this validation phase. Mm-hmm. So we're going to take everything we heard and we're going to try to summarize it into a value statement. So what value would I give to my customer or my, you know, if it's in ministry, the person that I'm going to be engaging with, what value do they get? Not what value do I get? Mm -hmm. What value do they get from engaging either with this ministry or with this business or with this product? What is, what's in it for them? What difference is it going to make? Mm -hmm. And to be able to say that, how five minute speech, one minute speech, like how, how, when you say value statement, are you talking like a sentence? I'm talking about a sentence. Like Ooh. that's hard, right? Cause you just did all this work and now you got to distill it down in this one small sentence. So when we do that, how does that help us in our innovation process to make sure yeah. that we can get it down to one value statement? Yeah. That value statement kind of becomes your elevator pitch. So, you know, when you're in an elevator, you don't have all day, right? To tell somebody you don't have five minutes. You don't even have three minutes in an elevator. So you're going to have probably 15 to 30 seconds in an elevator to tell somebody what you do. And that's exactly what that elevator pitch is. It's going to get you understanding the value. One of the things that um, I do, I work with a lot is design thinking. Mm-hmm. And it essentially puts the customer at the center of everything you build. So when you build that value statement, you should actually be building it for a person And you're thinking about that person every time you work on this project. So you're thinking, okay, what would Sherry want? What would Sherry care about? What would matter to her? And if I realize that I'm working on something that wouldn't matter to her, I don't need to do it. Mm -hmm. Which is why you have to do the discovery phase to know what would matter to me. And clearly that is still bite-sized pieces. (laughs) So I'm joking. I'm joking. So we have, we start with that in the second phase, the validation phase. Is that, what, is that right? Yeah, validation. I'm making sure I'm saying mm-hmm. the right thing. Validation <laughs> phase, value statement, and then what? What yeah. else is in that phase? So the other thing that's that's in this phase that I think is really important is to sketch your idea out visually. Now, you may be like, wait a minute. I am not an artist. I don't draw. <laughs> I don't draw. <laughs> I don't either. But um, there's a really cool tool out there called Upwork where you can go on and hire somebody to draw something for you. So let's say that's not your bent and you're, you're not good at that. Um what, what I've found is that people make decisions faster when they can see something visually. Interesting. So you should not only be doing this with your idea, but in all facets of what you do for a living is thinking about how do I get something from words to visual? Because people are more likely to respond to visual um, stimuli than they are just words, right? So we've even seen studies where they get to a decision 14 to 15% faster if they're looking wow. at something visually. So, so get someone to draw it out. <laughs> who can draw. Who can draw, because I can't either. Um, but get somebody that can draw that out for you so that you can make an impact when you go to talk to people about this by showing someone something visually. So are you talking a logo, a chart, a analogy, yeah. or all of the above? So let's say you're pitching a ministry, for example. There's a new ministry you really want to start it in your church. You would have somebody draw out maybe the journey that someone's going to go on in that ministry by being a part of it. So we start here. There's all these pieces that we interact with. And then at the end of that you know, journey with that ministry, we're going to end up over here. That person becomes a leader that can then replicate other leaders. So you're showing that visually. Let's say it's a product. You'd obviously want to have your screens drawn out. Let's say it's a business 
that you want to launch, um, you may want to show visually the different pieces and parts of that business and how they interact together. So when you've done that, how have you found that it's helped you yeah. as well? Because I imagine, as I'm imagining actually doing the work of having to describe the visual that you mm-hmm. even want drawn by somebody more gifted than me, <laughs> I, I imagine there'd be an effect on me and my yes. thinking about it as well. How have you found yeah. that to be the case for you? Here's what I've found. I've always found when whenever I'm meeting with a client and we're looking at a problem that they're trying to solve, I can immediately feel when it's not resonating with them. When they're just looking at words, you can see their head going side to side. You can see things scrunching and they're just trying to take it in, but it's not really hitting. When you do that same session visually, you can immediately see them start to engage with the, with the drawing. So they're saying, oh, on level three of that drawing, that guy that's standing there, that's so-and-so. He'd be a great fit for, you know, for what we're trying to build. And so you can actually see them begin to engage with the drawing versus words. People, oftentimes they kind of lean back and they won't make decisions because it's just a lot to take in. That's so fascinating to me. I mean, my my brain right now is going all different applications of just how visuals make us think out of the box. Yes. Things like that. But I know that's not the point today, so we're, I'm going to have to rein that in. Remember I told you I like the discovery phase? Yes. I'm like, yes. <laughs> so what else would be involved in the validation phase? Yeah. You know, the other thing that I think is critical is to start to understand your numbers. Now, this is a place where a lot of people glaze over and check mm-hmm. out when we say, you got to understand your numbers. But um Really what's important here is if you're trying to launch something, you need a model like it to say, well, we launched something similar to this two years ago and we had X number of customers sign up per month at X dollar amount. And what I'm trying to do is either going to cost more or cost less. And then here's what I think it's going to make us, or here's even what I think it's going to save us, which is really cool. I once worked with a company um, who was receiving, it's a huge company, but they were receiving thousands of customer service complaints a month. And so we worked on one feature to get those calls to go away. Now imagine how much time they saved in customer service calls and just one little change so that people didn't pick up the phone and and scream, like, why isn't this working, right? I bet you it was my cable company. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to say which one it was. Exactly. (laughs) But those are all the things in the validation stage. And I think they help to build a better capacity to have the right type of conversation. Now, something else that I would suggest people go do is get a team of people around you. One of the things I tell people all the time is innovation is no longer about brilliant individuals. It's about brilliant teams. Mm. So Getting some other people either in your company or either outside your company that can validate or not validate the (laughs) the path you're on is really important because I think that um, oftentimes we want to create in a silo Uh and then we're surprised when it doesn't resonate with people. And so one of the best ways we can do that either in the discovery or validation phase is start to build some people alongside of you that will hey, Sherry, can I call you once a month and spend an hour with you? And can you just give me some rapid feedback on what you think about how we're evolving Mm -hmm. this prototype? Mm -hmm. And that's really low risk. And what it does is it connects you to other people that can say, well, in my line of work, I don't see how this would work for me. Or in my line of work, this is perfect. Mm -hmm. And so you've got to constantly validate. So building a team around you um, that's going to help you with the innovation is important so you don't stay in a silo. Which... It really supports even what the Bible says about there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. I love that. Yeah. But when we're creating, do we have a tendency to get 
to protect our idea. So how do, how do we make sure that we stay open to these counselors that are giving uh-huh. us feedback or the team that we're developing that we're actually listening to what they're telling us? That's the hardest part of innovation is we become a little bit territorial because it's our idea and I thought of it. So I don't want to tell anybody until it's ex-baked and make sure that I can protect it and no one steals it. Here's what I've found. If you have a good group of people around that you that you trust, mm. They typically have no interest in stealing your idea (laughs) and they genuinely want to help you. And so typically what I would do is if I'm, if I'm within a company setting, I would go to the person, a couple people that I think are really, really good. And I trust a lot. And I would say, Hey, I have this idea. Would you be on my team? And here's the role I'd like you to play. And that here's the role is really important Mm. because now I'm telling you, hey, I want you to validate the idea or or tell me it's not valid. I want you to work side by side with me on this. Or, hey, when we get to this point, can I just bring this to you and, and let you look at it? And so what you're doing is actually creating... Uh, a stair-step process for your innovation to kind of move up that ladder versus just getting stuck. A lot of times when we hoard things, Mm -hmm. they don't go anywhere (laughs) and we can't figure out why it's not successful. So Mm -hmm. we can't hoard the idea. We have to unleash it, which means we got to share it with others. Mm, That takes a lot of trust, both in people and in the power of your idea. It does. So, but how powerful when we let that go. Okay. So we've gone through discovery Mm -hmm. phase. And I understand this is, this is, um, it, it's a repeated, what did you call it? There was an I word. It, iterative. It, iterative. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm afraid of that word. I'm afraid <laughs> I'm going to mess it up. <laughs> so discovery phase, validation mm-hmm. phase, and is there another phase? Oh, yes. So the last phase is the pitch phase. And this is really all about getting your idea in front of the right people, which is so important. What is the point of a great idea if we don't ever share it with the world? So, you know, again, you might be pitching this to a boss. You might be pitching this to... Um, you know, your husband or your wife. Um, there, there could be anybody that you're pitching this to, but you've got to know your stuff. Mm-hmm. And this is where I feel like innovation can sometimes fall down a little bit, mm-hmm. which is I have a good idea. I just want to rattle it off to you. And I want you to tell me how great I am, but I don't want to do any work. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the part where we've done all the work and this is the culmination of all the work coming together, which is really cool. And so one of the things I would say to you in this phase is like, know your numbers, be passionate about, Hey, Here's the model I used. Here's why it's similar to this other Mm -hmm. product we sold. Or here's this other ministry we launched. Here's how it grew. And here's why I think this one will grow in a similar pattern. So we have to know, you know, what we're prototyping so that we can help other people take that journey with us. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's, I think, one of the challenges with innovation is sometimes we don't bring people along for the journey. Mm. But the goal of this pitch is to bring them along. So here's where I've done. Here's the research that backs this. And here's where I think that this can go. And if you're not passionate about it, nobody else will be. Mm. (laughs) So Mm. put your passion into this phase big time. And so, you know, one of the things I always tell people when they're thinking about their idea, I always ask them, will someone pay for it? Mm-hmm. If it's a monetary idea and will they pay for it now? So is it urgent? Mm. Cause it's gotta be urgent. It's gotta be relevant and they have to want to pay for it right now. And if those three things come together, then you have an amazing idea. Wow. You've given us so much. So, <laughs> so most of us are not the key person in an organization. Yeah. We're not the decision maker. Yeah. Most of us are having to work to pitch to colleagues and to yes. pitch up. And I know that you've just given us some, but give us an example of a time where you pitched something oh, yeah. to someone above you. What, what were you keeping in mind? Like what mm-hmm. were kind of the principles that you yeah. were working from in order to pitch an idea to a superior or an overseer? Yeah. 
I would say much of my career, I spent time, I call it kind of managing up, right? And saying, hey, here's where I see a gap. Here's where I think we need to go. And what I found was that I was always more successful when I came with a team than when I came by myself. Hmm. And so, um, you know, I could do the research by myself. I could make it all about me. But I found when I made it about the team, one of the things that I think is really critical critical for people who are going to be innovation leaders is that they're thinking team always. And when you lead innovation, you have to lead teams. So you're constantly helping direct where people go, how they get there and helping them assess if we failed. Well, why did we fail? And what can we learn? And if you can show your boss that you're doing that informally through this innovation, through this idea, then they will absolutely let you do it formally. Hmm. But when you come on your own and you're pitching this on your own, um, it's probably because you want the full credit, but an, a good innovation leader, a good transformative leader can give pieces and parts of the idea away because they know they're going to build something better. And I think that's the part that's really fun about innovation is if you get the right people in a room, you will take your idea and it will become 10 times better when you walk out than it was when you came in. So what would happen if I bring my idea to my boss or an overseer without having the discovery phase. Yeah. I don't think you're going to get very far. And this happens all the time because, um, you know, we want to lob stuff over the wall and give it to someone else and say, Hey, this is a great idea. Here's what I thought of it. And then it's like, well, what? okay, but you haven't done the work that goes behind it. When someone's done the work that's gone behind it, I very seldom see them walk out, not getting to run that idea. Hmm. And so, you know, one of the ways that I knew if I was ever going to go anywhere in my career and cause I started out when I was 19 working in a call center, answering phones. And when I left the company, I was the director of product development. Hmm. And the way I did that was every role I was in, I found a way to collaborate with my peers, create things that we weren't doing today and then figure out how to execute and launch them. And so I think those are the things that are critical for our listeners as they think about, you know, their career, you have to know how to collaborate. It's, it's no longer about me. Mm. It's about us. It's about we. Mm. So we have to make that mind shift and you have to do it as an individual contributor because that's what's going to set you up for leadership is showing that as an individual contributor, I can collaborate. I can share my idea. Mm -hmm. I can watch it evolve into something better. Maybe even by the end of it, it's not my idea anymore. Mm -hmm. but it's something more powerful that we can work with. But it's something you still initiated. Yeah. That's good. That's good. So as we near the end here, if you were to leave, say, two thoughts with our listeners, um, maybe one more personal, just in terms of what is it that motivates you to continually innovate? Yeah. And then secondly, what is something that has really um, influenced your thinking in your career? Maybe it's a resource, a book, a blog. Mm -hmm. What is it something that we could say, hey, this was really helpful to me. It might be helpful to our listeners. Yeah. So I think for me, it's, it's the same thing. So when I was um, in that customer service group, when I was like 19, 20, um, when I graduated from college, I moved up into this other area, but I was still in, under kind of the customer service umbrella. And I had this incredible boss. And one of the things I saw about him was, uh, his name was Mike Hargis. And he constantly encouraged me to go outside the bounds of what I was comfortable doing. So I'd walk into his office and I would say, hey, this is going on. That's going on. And he would say, okay, let's, let's slow it down. Hmm. So not, not only am I going to empower you to make the decision, but you need a little more acumen in this area. Here's a book you should read. Hmm. And so I think from an early age, what I realized was, and I think we all realize this at some point as leaders, we're the lid 
to our own leadership. (laughs) We're the lid to what's possible. And I realized the way that I was communicating with him was very tactical Mm -hmm. and I needed to be more strategic. And so what he helped me to see was that in any conversation, you can either be the tactician or you can be the strategy. And if you can communicate with people strategically, you'll go much further. Mm. And so I had to really build that acumen in myself so that ideas that I was pitching. It wasn't because there was a problem and I'm telling you all about the problem, but instead I'm pitching the idea as an opportunity and a solution we can solve. So I was, I would say I was very kind of negative, more problem-based, and he helps me to be more positive, more solution-based, more strategic. Mm. The number one thing I'm constantly innovating is myself. (laughs) I'm constantly trying to grow, constantly trying to learn, constantly reading, because um, I know that if, if I don't innovate that, I won't be able to help other people innovate. Mm, to have a growth mindset. Yeah. That's so good. That's yeah. so good. Well, I know that I've learned a lot from you today. And I know we've only scratched the surface in terms of the resources that you have available as yeah. well. So I do want to let our listeners know how to follow you so sure. they can learn more from you. <laughs> and so on Instagram, you can follow Natalie at Innovation Meets Leadership. And also her website is also called Innovation Meets Leadership. Innovation Meets Leadership, rather. Um, also, if you go to our website, leadwellpeople.com, Natalie has very generously provided an innovation framework, a downloadable resource for our listeners. So you can go to leadwellpeople.com and get that innovation framework, which covers not just what we've talked about, but also some other tips throughout there of, of just kind of how to take this step by step from idea to deployment to see our ideas come to life. Natalie, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me, Sherry. And thanks to all of you for joining us again today. We always appreciate when you share this podcast and let other people know that we're out there. And please follow us as well on Instagram at Lead Well People. Mm-hmm.